exalt you in this place, Lord. We exalt you in this place, God. You're so awesome in this place, Lord. To worship you, Lord, is why we live, Lord. Oh, we worship you, Lord. Come on, just pour your worship on him this morning. Oh, Lord, we worship you, Lord. We were created to worship you, God. We were created to worship you, God. Our greatest satisfaction is found in worship. In worship of your name, God. We're changed as we worship you, God. chapter 7 and verse 1 and as you're turning there our core kids are dismissed <laughs> the gospel of Mark chapter 7 and verse 1 
And you got to say so? And it says, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. <clears throat> For the Pharisees and all of the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they and there are not many other and there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying, aside, for, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. The washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them all, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says his father, his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corbin, that is a gift to God, then you no longer, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down and many such things you do. And when he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he had entered a house away from the crowd, they, the disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding? Do you not perceive whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Father, we thank you for your word that is true. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your presence that is in this place, God. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would open our ears this morning, that you would let us be those who have ears to hear what you are saying to your church. We ask you in these moments, Lord God, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of it. So I pray that you would captivate our minds, remove distractions, remove everything from our hearts, Lord God, that may hinder your word from entering in and from us receiving it by faith to live it out for your glory and for your honor. Pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said... Man, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will make sure you get one. As always, it's important to me that you have an outline so you can follow along, so you can take notes, so you can answer some questions that are there. Um, but also, I feel like these outlines are a tool that you can use in order to help others grow in their faith. And so we should be a disciple-making church. We should be committed to helping other people come to know Jesus better and understand God's word better. And so this is a tool that you can utilize 
in order to help somebody grow in their faith. So take advantage of it, answer the question, take some notes, and then sit down with someone and talk to them about what you're learning in the scriptures. Uh, also, for those of you that have been following the Bible reading challenge, today is day 295, and uh, we are in the Gospel of Luke in our reading, uh, chapters 16 through 19. So that's our reading today. As always, if you jumped in on the Bible reading challenge in the beginning of the year, praise God. I hope that you were able to stay strong and stay with it. If you have not jumped in on the Bible reading challenge, it is not too late. You can jump in right here in the Gospel of Luke, and by the end of the year, you will have read most of the New Testament. So either way, you can be edified. And speaking of challenges, in our um, Tuesday night and Wednesday night class, we were in, in our, it's a discipleship class. We're talking about making disciples, and one of the questions came up, dealing with love being the motivation of our hearts and how we're supposed to be loving and how Jesus said that we would be known as his disciples because of our love for one another. And so as a result, you know, one, one of the questions in our discussion time was about what is one thing that you can do in order to, you know, walk in love and be an example of love. And so everybody gave some things. And the one thing that came to me was we could read through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8 and read that daily and pray that daily and allow God's spirit to transform our hearts. And so I was just going to, you know, type it out or, you know, write it out and for myself for when I go and I pray. But what I decided thinking about you, I said, hey, what about if our church decided that they would jump in on this challenge and let our hearts be molded by the love of God? And so I asked the printing, uh, you know, our, our brothers that have an amazing printing company, if they would do this, they printed out these bookmarks for us. Um, and so they're there. On the front of the bookmark, there is the 30-day challenge. There's some pray, There's a, uh, some words that you can consider in your prayer. And then also on the back is actually 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses, verses 4 through 8a. And so my hope is that you will join me in this challenge, that you'll begin to pray this and allow God's word and his spirit to change your heart and to fill you with the love of Christ. That way we can walk in that love and be an example of that love for one another. So when you walk out of here today, the ushers will make sure that you get one. Um, and if you don't, if they don't give you one, you can make sure that you grab one. Uh, they're out there in the lobby area. And so speaking of the heart, we're dealing with the topic today, heart issues. As you see in this portion of scripture here, Jesus is dealing with the issues of the heart. And so looking at your outline here, God is holy and he expects holiness from his people. Can I get an amen to that? He's holy. He's a holy God, and he desires holiness in all of his people. And as his image bearers, we are to grow in and display the communicable attributes of our creator God in character and in practice. And so what do I mean by communicable attributes? I know all of you are very smart, but for folks like me that don't understand big words, I'm going to go ahead and explain to you what I mean by that. Here's the thing. I'm being sarcastic. But anyway, here's the thing. Um, but, but I do believe you all, I'm not being sarcastic about that. I believe that you're smart. But here's the thing. When we come to Jesus, we are given a new nature. We are given a new heart. We are given a new life. And so that happens the moment we are converted. And there are some attributes that we receive and that come to life in us. Those are called communicable attributes. Example would be something like love, right? Something like, you know, wisdom. Like those things are communicable attributes. So what happens is we should be able to grow in those. Now a non-communicable attribute would be something like omniscience. Like I know all of you wish you knew everything at all times, but none of you are going to receive that no matter what you think. Hello. Are you here? 
right? And so, you know, some of us want to be everywhere. We, want to, we don't want to miss anything. You're like, you know how kids are, right? Like, they don't ever want to go to sleep because they don't want to miss something. You're in the living room. They want to be there. They don't, you know, so it's, it's one of those. The bottom line is you're not responsible for being everywhere. You are not, you know, omnipotent. In other words, you're not all powerful. So you don't have to worry about results being in your hands because results are not up to you. They are up to God. But we are called to do what? To grow in character in these communicable attributes like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. We're supposed to grow in these. And so as we grow in these areas and as we do that, then we're, we're, we're demonstrating the image of God unto a world that needs to see a better picture of who God is. Sadly, second paragraph in your outline there, sadly, we live in a day where relativism rules. And what I mean by that is that it's relative, right? We talk about truth. Like here's right, right now you're going to hear me preach this sermon. And you are going to make some choices while you're sitting there. You are going to decide whether this is for you or not. And a lot of people come to church, they listen with their elbows, not their ears. Hello, somebody. Right? Yes, for hey, listen to what he's saying. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, they listen with their elbows, not their ears. They hear a message and, oh, I know who needs to hear this message. As a matter of fact, I'm going to share this sermon with someone because they need to hear it. But the question is, they may need to hear it for sure. I'm not questioning that. The question is, did you need to hear it? The question is, was this truth for you and was it for you to respond to? And the answer is an absolute 100% yes. God wants to speak to us, but the thing with us in our day is that we want to embrace this relativism because in our culture, uh, you know, our culture will lie to you and say that there's no such thing as absolute truth. Like everything doesn't apply to everyone. But I want you to know that everything in this Bible is absolute truth. Hello. Everything here, this isn't relative, right? It, what I mean by that, it isn't relative. It is relative to our days, but it's not relative choosing what you're going to obey, which commandments you'll obey, or which commandments you will disobey. We cannot embrace that. And what happens is this, if you look at your outline here, even within the church, in many cases, in our effort to contextualize, we end up falling into compromise when it comes to God, his standards, and his expectations of his people. And to be sure, if we will embrace God's word as the absolute truth at all times, then we will do what? We will, we will strive to live God's standards. We will strive to obey God's commands. We will strive to do what God calls us to do all of the time. We may fall short, and that's going to happen, but we're going to strive to live for his glory. And so that's what we are called to do. We're called to live this way. Last paragraph there. We must strive to live holy lives as God defines holiness. And again, the word of God is clear as to what God calls holy. And the reason why this is so important to understand is because the Pharisees that we're looking at in this portion of Scripture, they looked holy, but they were not. They looked like they had it all together, but they did not. They were the religious elite of the day. They were the ones that you went to if you wanted blessing, if you wanted prayer, if you wanted guidance, if you wanted direction. You went to them, and yet they were not holy, according to Jesus, as you'll see him rebuke them clearly, letting them know that they're not living the way they're supposed to, that they're not walking in holiness the way that God requires holiness. And so we must strive to live holy lives as God defines holiness amidst a rebellious and deceived culture. We must live out a radical faith in Jesus that will impact those around us for good and ultimately for eternity. This is what we're called to do, to be radically devoted to Christ, that no matter what they say, no matter what they think, no matter how they are living, we are living for the glory and the honor of God according to God's word. 
That's what we're called to do. We're called to live that way. And so here's the big idea for the day. As our hearts are impacted by the gospel, so our lives will impact our culture. As our hearts, we're talking about heart issues today. As our hearts are impacted by the gospel, so our lives will impact the culture. Now remember, please, we don't, we don't, we're not just trying to learn more about Jesus, okay? When we come in this series, I've said this from the beginning, and I want this to be something that stays in your hearts, in your minds, that we are seeking to learn how Jesus impacted his day and his culture, and that way we can imitate him and we can make impact in our culture. Amen? So it, it, what, what, what needs to happen is God has to be transforming us so that way we can go forward as vessels of transformation. We have to be experiencing the liberating power of Christ so we can go forward as vessels of liberty and freedom under this world. That is what has to be occurring inside of our hearts. And so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must recognize the danger of legalistic traditions. We must recognize the danger of legalistic tradition. Let's look at verses 1 through 5 here. He says this. It says, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. And one thing that we notice is that Jesus always had people following him. Did he not? He had people coming from all over the place to hear him teach. He had people coming from all over the place to hear him speak, to be healed by him. He had that. But he also had a select group of people that were always coming in order to do what? To try to trip him up. He had a select group of people that were there for one reason and one reason alone. It's because they were trying to ask that question. They were trying to catch him in that act. They were trying to see the one thing that they could do in order to, you know, get him to, you know, to not be who he really was, which is the one that was doing what? Who was bringing liberty, who was bringing the gospel of the kingdom unto the lives of those that he was encountering. And so these are those people. They come from Jerusalem. And look what happens in verse 2. It says, now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread, bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. You see it right there? They were looking at Jesus, they were watching him, and they noticed his disciples come in from the marketplace and they're eating without washing their hands. Now, y'all, how many of y'all like, you know, wash your hands before you eat? Right? You know? Think about, I mean, you know, you, you know, you, 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 you're, you're, you're at a place and, you know, you get ready to eat and you just automatically, you know, some of y'all are germaphobic, you know, a little bit over the top, but anyway, it's all right, you know, you know, it, it's okay, you want to be clean, but, but, but you wash your hands, right? But you wash your hands because of what? Because you don't want to get sick, right? That's the reason why I do that. Because you don't want to, you know, contaminate your food or something like that. Like that, that's the reason why you wash your hands. But these people wash their hands for a totally different reason. It had zero to do with getting sick or being sick, it had to do with them having come in contact with unholy people. It had to do with them being in the marketplace and they were around Gentiles or even worse, Samaritans. You know Samaritans, you know what they are, right? Those are people that were half Jew and half, you know, half something else. Hello, somebody, right? And so they had issues with them, right? And so, oh, well, you couldn't get near me if you were a Samaritan. Why do I bring up Samaritan? Or what about deaf people? What about people with leprosy? Well, when you read the rest of the story, we're not going to go through all of chapter 7, but when you read the rest of the story, the next part of this um, interaction, Jesus has an interaction with a Samaritan woman, right? The Syrophoenician woman that she has a child that's demon-possessed. And so what happens is Jesus brings liberty to this woman's life, and then after that he has an encounter with a deaf and mute person and brings liberty to that person's life. And so Jesus is moving into the lives of all of those people that are unclean. 
He's moving into their lives. He's not worried about, you know, them touching him or him touching them and him being unclean, you know, coming. No, he wasn't worried about any of that stuff. He was, he was concerned about bringing impact into their lives. But see, the Jewish people, they had these traditions. And these traditions, they, they, they were known as the, the gates of, of, the, of the law, right? And so what they did was, the, or the fence, I'm sorry, the fence of the law. And what these traditions were supposed to do is they were supposed to help us understand how to really live holy. How to really live holy lives. And so the Bible tells to be holy. So how do, you, how, how, how do you act holy? And so what I believe is that when they started with these traditions, these traditions were in, you know, good, they, they had a good taste. They, they had a good reasoning behind it. And they were saying, okay, what you need to do is when you come in from walking among those who are unclean, you don't just wash your feet, but you got to wash your hands. And, and, and it's a reminder that you are holy. So that's a good thing, right? It's a, that's a positive thing. The problem was it went from them being reminded that they were God's chosen people to now starting to feel like they were better than everyone else. To now they were feeling like they were above all of those, you know, Gentiles out there. They started looking down on people. They, they, they started to feel like they were elite. And so what happens is, you know how we, how we know, I said, we must recognize the danger of legalistic tradition, right? And so you know how we know that we're living by legalistic tradition? It is when our faith is producing pride in us, causing us to judge others, rather than creating humility in us, causing us to care for others. Hello. You see, when my faith begins to elevate me in my own eyes, when my, when my faith practice starts to make me feel like I'm better than everyone else, and listen, I don't have to walk around and say, hey, I'm better than everyone else, when I'm acting like I'm better than everyone else. When, when that's the way that I come across, right, when that's what is seen in my, when other people look at me and that's what they see, there's a problem. Hello, somebody. Right? It's, it's an issue when, when I feel like I'm holier than thou because what should be happening is my faith should be producing humility in me. See, my faith in God, my relationship with God should be producing humility in me and it should be causing me to have compassion upon others and cause me to want to do what? To care for them, to serve them. And we have to realize that the enemy of our soul, he wants us to be deceived by our legalism. By, 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 by those ways that we are. And listen, here's the thing. All of us have different traditions in our lives. The problem is when we try to impose those upon other people. See, I can tell you all day long that you should do what the Bible says because the Bible says we should do it. Therefore, everybody who calls himself a Christian should be doing what the Bible says clearly. But if I do certain things in my life that are not necessarily in the Bible, I can advise you, hey, man, this has helped me, but I can't enforce them. Are you here? This is what the Pharisees were doing in those days. And what you and I can't do is we cannot be like these folks that were trying to separate themselves from the unclean people. But we have to be those who move into the lives of those who don't know Jesus and that we live holy lives before them, bringing the power of the gospel in their lives. That way they can see change and transformation. The second thing, ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we cannot allow legalistic traditions to deceive our hearts. See, the first thing we have to be, we have to be beware and, and recognize the danger of legalistic tradition. The second thing that we cannot do is we cannot allow legalistic traditions to deceive our hearts. See, here's what you have to realize. Living by man-made traditions will always minimize our impact upon the culture, but more importantly, God's impact upon our hearts. Let me say that again. Living by man-made traditions will always minimize our impact upon our culture, but more importantly, God's impact upon our hearts. 
You see, here's what you have to realize about man-made traditions. Man-made traditions are low enough for you to attain. God's standards are beyond your ability to attain. So what happens is when somebody comes, and I'll just use it, you know, I'll just say this. If someone comes and tells you, hey, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that, you have to do this, you have to do that, you know what you can do? You can formulate that list. You can look at that list and say, hey, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this, hey, I'm good. Right? God's standards are not like that. See, here's what happens. The more you dig into this word, this is what I've noticed. I mean, I've been a Christian for like 23 years or something like that. And what I've noticed is that the more that I dig into this word, the more I realize how much I don't know. The more I realize how short I fall of the glory of God. The more time I spend in the presence of God. Oh, yes, listen now. There is encouragement for sure because what I see is, yeah, I've grown in certain areas. But you know what? When we went through this class on love, I think I've told you this before. When we were talking about um, love when I first became a Christian, I realized, man, I didn't love the way God wanted me to love. I I knew this. There was no question, you know, in my heart. I did not know how to love the way God wanted me to love. And what I can tell you is 23 years later, I still don't know how to love the way God wants me to love. I've gotten better, I can tell you that, that's for sure, but I have not arrived at all, because as I look at this list here, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I mean, go through it, and you just test yourself, just see how, how, how your life lines, let's just do it together, we'll do it together just for last sake here, I mean, you know, the Bible says love suffers long, how patient are you, hello somebody, the Bible says love is kind, how kind are you, I mean, some of you just need to get delivered right now, um, so it says love does not envy, how envious are you of other people? Right? Like, I mean, I mean, I mean just, just being completely honest, it says love does not parade itself. And other, I mean, do, do you parade yourself? Do you act like you're, I mean, that, that's the Bible says love does not do that. It says love is not puffed up. Do you got any pride going on in your life? Anywhere. Like, you don't want to apologize for stuff. I'm just saying, well, let me look back down at this thing here. Um, love, love does not behave rudely. Hello? Is anybody rude in here sometimes? I know some of y'all, so I already know the answer. Um, <laughs> It does not seek its own, right? Love does not seek its own. Hold on a second. Are you all about you or are you about everyone else? Keep going. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil. Come on, some of y'all still be like, "Mm mm-hmm. Like that, you look at, uh-huh, that, that, that one, that's fake right there. You know, just everyone, you know, hey, you, okay, I'm going to keep reading. Does not rejoice in iniquity. Think about some of, the, some of the shows you watch that you enjoy that are full of sin. Hmm. But rejoices in the truth. Oh, y'all got that one down this morning. You're rejoicing in this truth. You're like, amen, bishop. Come with it. Glory to God. Love bears all things. How how, how are you doing bearing stuff? Like going through things. I mean, it bears all things. It believes all things, right? It doesn't mean that it believes anything. It's it's believing God. It hopes all things. And then it says love endures all things. And it closes with love never fails. Come on, we all got work to do. God's standard, listen, God is love. Why, why, Why is it we all got work to do? Because God is love. That is who he is. And so the moment that I begin to lower the standard, see, the moment that I say, hey, man, just to love, all I have to do is this, this, and this, guess what I did? I lowered the standard. 
And so now I can look at you and be like, hey, you don't do this. Hey, you don't do that. Instead of looking at, wait a second, this is what God says love is, and I'm not doing that all the time perfectly. Hello. There are some moments I'm great. There's other moments not so much. And so it's always that humbling thing that happens. And the, and the Pharisees here, they were missing that. They, they, they weren't getting this. And so look at what Jesus says to them, verse 6. This is his response to them. They thought they caught him. And look what he says. I love this. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy, prophesy of you hypocrites? Hello. Talk about an answer. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? But look what it says. It goes on to say this. It says, this people, this is what Isaiah prophesied. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's heavy. This people, let's, let's contextualize this. This people sing these songs with their lips, beautiful voices, great harmonies. They do all this, but their hearts are far from me. Their hearts are not where they need to be. You see, because the songs, you see, some of us, we get so overly impressed by the way someone sounds to you that you have no clue what's going on inside of their heart. It doesn't even matter about what's going on inside of here. It doesn't even matter. And you know what? God could care. L listen to me now. I know, know y'all don't want to hear this. And I, I want to I pause and say this. I'm not saying anybody should be on the worship team. That's not what I'm saying with this statement. But some of us are overly concerned about the way folks sound. Some of us wish, man, can this person not sing in my ear? Can I tell you something? You don't need to worry about that person and how they sound in your ear. The most important thing is you got to realize God is satisfied with their heart. God is rejoicing in their heart. Because what? Because they're engaging him in worship, not from their lips, but worship that is from their hearts. He goes on to say what? He said, and in vain they worship me. Look at that. There is a waste of time. When your heart is not in your worship, it is a wasted action. It's terrible. But how is worship? I want you to understand something. Worship is not just songs. Worship is our lifestyle. Because look what he says. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So what he's saying is you're trying to come to me and do what you want to do. Lower standards rather than my standards. You want to worship how? You want to worship. Lower standards, not my standards. I want you to live all of your life according to my commands. I want you to live all of my life according to my word and according to my will. That's how I want you to live your life. That is the worship that comes to me and does what? Connects my heart with God's heart and then does what? It changes who I am. See, what we have to do is we have to search the scriptures and that way we learn what pleases God. What is, what, 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 what is our vision? Our vision as a church is to please God in everything that we do. That, that, that's our goal. That's the reason why we exist, because we want to please God. And so we have to find out what pleases Him, what is acceptable to Him. How do we find that out? By having a conversation with someone, maybe if they're going to point you to what the Bible teaches. But we have to be those that are searching the Scripture saying, God, show us what it is. So what does Jesus do? He rebukes the Pharisees. We won't continue reading that whole portion there. But He rebukes them because they were trading in the what? They were trading in the commands of God for the traditions of men. They were trading this in, and so they were lowering their standards. They weren't experiencing the transformation of heart that God willed for them to experience. Number three, repeat this after me. Say, we must walk in the power of biblical sanctification. We must walk in the power of biblical sanctification. Look at verses 14 and verse 23. 
Jesus goes on after he rebuked these Pharisees and he let them know that they were wrong. He calls the crowd to himself and he says, hear me, everyone, and understand. In other words, pay attention to what I'm saying. Understand that what these guys have been telling you is incorrect. Understand what these guys have been calling you to do is not what is Bible. It is not truth. This is what he says. He says, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 17 tells us what? His disciples go to him and they call upon him and they ask him, Jesus, what did you mean by that? And this is his response to his disciples. He says, are you thus without understanding also? In other words, man, I've been with you all this time and you guys don't get what I'm saying. I'm, I'm walking with you. I'm talking with you. I, I mean, it was crystal clear, but here, let me break this down for you anyway. He says, do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all food? Thank you, God, for pork. Amen. I know y'all, I know y'all up in here thinking about pork like, yes, see, I can eat pork. Hello, somebody. You thought of it right now. You were like, let me get this verse for someone. There it is. There's the verse right there. Mark gives us commentary, right? Mark gives us commentary. He's like, thus purifying all foods. So all foods right there, good to go, right? According to this, not, not according to me. There's, uh, it's purified, right, in Thanksgiving. It doesn't mean it's wise. Hello, somebody. Notice that. I'm just, I just want to throw that out there. Just because you can go ahead and eat it doesn't mean it's wise. But all that said, you got to make those decisions based on your conscience and all that other stuff. But here's the thing. Jesus lets them know nothing from the outside is what, is what makes you dirty. It's not what's on the outside. It's not what is out here. It's what's in here. It's not the things that you are partaking of for food-wise. It's not eating with unclean hands. He's saying what makes you unholy is what's going on inside of your heart. And so he goes on and tells him what? He said what comes out of a man, verse 20, uh, uh, that, that defiles a man. He says, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts. Now I want you to pause as we're reading these and think about this. What evil thoughts are coming out of your mind? What evil thoughts are coming, out of, are coming out of you? What kind of things are you thinking? Because guess what? They have an origination. It's your heart. It's your heart, and that is what makes you unclean. It's those thoughts that make you unclean because they're coming from a place. I remember, it goes on here, and it says, proceed, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Wait a second. All of these things, these are all actions, are they not? Wickedness is actions. When we do things that are ungodly, adultery, sex outside of marriage, that is a wicked action. It originates where? In the heart. Fornication, sex before marriage, it originates where? Inside of the heart. It's not just the action. The action is sinful for sure, but you have to get to the root of the issue. An evil eye, the way you look at people, the way you perceive people, all of that stuff, evil actions come from where? The heart. See, we have to look at ourselves and say, wait a second, if I'm behaving this way, then I, th there's something wrong with my heart. There's something going on inside of me that has to be addressed. There's something going on inside of me that has to be dealt with. And Jesus makes it clear. He says that all of these things, thefts, murders, all of these things, covetousness, not wanting other people to have stuff. I mean, we know what thief, thievery is and stealing is. I mean, all, all, of, the, all of that stuff comes from the heart all of those things defile a man 
What we have to realize is this, is that Jesus wants us to be introspective and wants us to look and say, wait a second, what is my, what, what is my life producing? What is your life producing? Is it producing these things? Because listen, you can only produce what you are. Hello. You can't fake it. You, know, you can fake it you know, for moments, like segments of your life. Like you can act holy when you come to church. I mean, man, it's only an hour and a half, two hours, depending on how long I preach. Hello. Right? You, you can act holy for that time. Some of you, I mean, I don't know. You know, you, you, you can seem the part, you know, when you go hang out with family, you can act right. You know, when you get around certain people, you can act right. You know, you go to work for eight hours. You know, you can act right for those periods. But, but you know what? If there's something going on inside, you can only act for so long. See, Jesus rebuked these Pharisees because what? Because they were calling him and his disciples unclean because they didn't wash their hands. But Jesus was saying to them, hey, you guys, guess what? You're adulterers. You guys are fornicators. You guys are thieves. You guys are murderers. You guys have an evil eye. You guys are covetous. You guys are envious. You guys are proud. You guys are wicked. He was saying, you guys are all of these things and you're acting like you're holy. See, for us as believers, we have to be what? Changed by the gospel. We have to be transformed by the gospel because what? Because as our hearts are impacted by the gospel, so our lives will impact our culture. And so here's the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus died for all of these things. He died for adulterers. Hello. He died for fornicators. He died for wickedness. He died for those who are liars and thieves. He died for all of these sins. And so if you're over here and you feel really like weight upon you, guess what? Jesus took the weight for you. The question is, will you put your faith in him? That's the question. Will you put your faith in him? And listen, there's two groups of people in the room. There's the ones that have put their faith in Christ a long time ago, and, and, you know, and you trust in Jesus. But you know what? When we go through this list, you see some of these things in your life. God calls you to repent. God calls you to turn from that sin. And then there's others of you that you have not put your faith in Christ, and you're living how you want to live. And God calls you to trust him today. Because of the gospel that says what? That we're all separated from God. Every one of us is separated from him because of our sins. And we can do nothing in order to make God love us. We can do nothing to make God accept us. We can do nothing to make God forgive us. All we can do is put our trust in what Jesus did for us on the cross. And guess what? He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new life. He gives us a new identity. He gives us a new relationship with him based upon what? Based on his work on the cross, based on his resurrection power, based on him and him alone, we are able to do what? Come to him and say, God, I need your forgiveness. God, I don't want this wickedness to be seen in my life. I don't want this, I don't want this sin to continue on in my life. I want to live holy according to your standards. And so here is my closing question for you. How is the gospel impacting your heart? And is, and, and are you seeing this in those around you? Because here's the thing, those two things go together. If the gospel is impacting your heart, if the gospel is really impacting your life, then guess what? Those around you should be impacted by it as well. And if you don't see any kind of impact, then you need to question, man, has the gospel really impacted me? And when I say impact, listen, here's the thing. The truth of the matter is, is that we have to realize that those around us, some of us, some of us the impact is that people just don't like us. And they don't, they don't not like us because we're nasty. Hello, somebody. Right? I'm not talking about that. You need to repent of that. I'm talking about they don't like you because you stand for Jesus. 
They, 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 they have issues with you because you stand for righteousness. Because they want you to be with them and you're not, and I'm not with that. They want you to participate in what they're participating in. And you're like, man, I, that's not the way that I live. That's not the life. I can't do that to my Savior. I can't do that. You see, the truth is that we, if you want to see the gospel and the word of God impacting your life, you have to look at God's word as it is, which is a mirror that reflects. And it shows us what? It shows us God's holy standards. It shows us God's character. It shows us all of those things. And then there's a reflection coming back, and that's the reflection of you. And when you look at that reflection, you have a choice. Am I going to stay the same way that I am? Just right now, as you were hearing that list go through, as you were hearing me preach, there's a reflection coming, and you're seeing yourself, and you have a choice. Are you going to walk out of here and live the same way you're living, or are you going to make a decision to follow Jesus? That's the, it's, it's, it's as simple as that. And I say simple because it's not that simple, but here's the thing. You have a choice every time you hear God's word, every time you read God's word, every time that you come in contact with the word of God, it is calling us to do what? To confront our sin, to repent of our sin, to trust in Jesus, to put our faith in him and in him alone, not in anything else. And listen, it's not just about a one-time prayer. I'm going to pray this prayer. I put my faith in Jesus. Listen, when you and I put our faith in Christ, our lives must change. Here's the thing. I love this statement, and I say it as often as I can. Jesus says 100%, come to me as you are, but he is never going to leave you as you are. When, when you come and you really come, he's going to change your life. And so the question is, how is the gospel impacting your heart, and are you seeing that effect in the lives of others? Let's all stand to our feet and let's pray together. Bow your heads for a moment. And if you're in this place and you have not put your faith in Christ, today is the day that you can do that. You call upon him. You may have been raised in church. You may have been in church. You may have been in church all your life. It doesn't mean that you're walking with Jesus. And so today can be that day that you can put your faith in him and trust him today and make that decision to walk with him. You may be one that is just backslidden. You've been running away from God, and God is telling you to come back to him today, to call upon him today. You know, you may be in this place and you're, and, you're, and you're following Jesus, but man, you saw some of those things on that list and you see those things in your life. And God says, call on me. Call on me. Trust in me today. Father, today, Lord, we come to you. And Lord, I just pray that your hand would be upon each and every person in this place. You see the differences. There are different scenarios, different situations going on in lives in here. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that your hand would be upon each and every one of my brothers and sisters in a mighty, mighty way. I pray that you would extend your grace, that you would extend your power, that you would extend your mercy, Lord God, unto each of our lives in a special way. I pray for those in here, Lord God, that do not know you, that are not walking with you. I pray that they would choose you today, God. I pray that they would walk with you today. I pray for those that are walking with you, Lord God, that are struggling in a certain area, Lord. I pray that you would 
infiltrate their heart with your love and that you would eradicate that stronghold in their lives and you would deliver them, that they would be able to trust you and walk with you in the, in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray for the one that may have backslidden, Lord God, that may be running away from you instead of to you today. May you grip their hearts with your loving grace and your kindness and turn them unto you for your glory's sake. I pray above all things, God, that we would live for your glory, that we would serve you with all of our lives, Lord God, and that your gospel would make a great impact in our hearts, that our lives would make a great impact in our culture. God, we pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, come on, give God a hand of praise.